fact, the hiring manager for the job I got, he saw me on LinkedIn and contacted me. I got a certificate at the end of doing, you know, the Scrimba front end career path. And I posted that on LinkedIn and he, he just like messaged me saying, oh, this is really interesting. I think it was literally like three days later, I was like getting interviewed. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on learning to code and getting your first junior dev job. I'm Alex, and today I'm joined by Stevie Gill. Originally a scientist and freelance writer from England, Stevie moved to Toronto, where he was just hired as a junior React developer. In this episode, you will learn exactly how he did it. I'm super excited for you to meet Stevie and learn about his success, but it wasn't exactly a smooth sailing because for a long time, he felt like his skills were too basic to get a job. And that led him to feel a bit paralyzed about what to do next. Luckily around that time, he discovered Scrimba, both our curriculum and I'm a little bit proud to say the Scrimba podcast. So Stevie was putting some of the advice that he learned in this very podcast to use and using those resources, he got back on track and eventually recruiters started reaching out to him. This was a little bit surprising to me actually, because at the time of the recording, Stevie had only 34 connections. So it's going to be very interesting to learn then how recruiters discovered Stevie in the first place and what made them want to reach out to him. By the way, you can find Stevie's LinkedIn in the show notes. So make sure to connect with him and see if we can get that number up a little bit. As always, you are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. I did learn some coding at school, but like this was back in the 80s and um, they taught us basic on like a BBC micro. So I used to do a little bit of like making sort of really rubbish text games on my ZX Spectrum at home. That's really old school. Yeah, it is. But like, yeah, coding is something I've always been interested in, but for whatever reason, never really got around to learning. I used to have like an Amiga in the 90s and I always had this like idea I was going to learn to code and make games, but I think I just spent more time actually playing games. So yeah, something I always wanted to do. And in 2017, I used to work as an editor on like a medical journal and I've been doing that for I think eight years and I, I just needed to do something different. So I had this crazy idea and I quit my job and I decided I was going to become a professional video games writer. That's a sick ambition. How did that go? Yeah, not that great. I mean, I, I did it for about 18 months and I wrote for a bunch of different publications for free because it's this kind of like, we can't pay you, but we'll give you exposure kind of thing. And I did get a lot of free video games. I also got some like free books and stuff. You get all these books now on like video games, history and culture. And they used to always send them to me to review. So I did get some cool stuff out of it and a bunch of free games but yeah like after about eight months like I was just not making any progress to like landing a paid role so I started having a rethink you know this is kind of unsustainable long term so I started looking at applying for like editorial jobs again but like because I had a lot of spare time on my hands I came across free code camp I can't remember how or why. And I started working my way through, they have these like web development modules on there. So I started working my way through them and I kind of got quite into it for a bit and seemed to be making progress, building like very simple apps as part of their curriculum. But then like I ended up getting an editorial job and that kind of got sort of put on the back burner and 
basically forgotten about. This experience of writing and editing, like where did that start? Is it something you studied at university perhaps? Well, indirectly. I actually was a scientist. I did a degree in genetics at Leeds University. And then I did a PhD in Sussex University, which is just outside of Brighton. That's how I ended up in Brighton for 20 years. Like I moved there to do the PhD and then just stayed there because I really liked it. I worked in like a genetics lab years and then decided it wasn't really for me. So I ended up getting a job at John Wiley's. It's an American company, but they have like a, a biggish office in Chichester. And I ended up working like editing these medical journals, the kind of things aimed at GPs and stuff like that. And I did that for eight years. And then that, that's when I sort of moved on to try and my hand at being a video games writer. I see. So sort of taking some of that writing experience, but channeling it into something about which you're passionate, which uh, sounds like video games, by the way. I wasted youth playing video games. I'm always quite impressed by what video games can teach us as adults, like something like coins earned are valued more than coins won kind of thing. I also feel like it teaches you a little bit about teamwork and, and sort of if you're in a clan or something. And maybe I'm stretching and justifying my wasted youth playing video games, but I, I like to believe there's something there. Map reading skills. Yeah, yeah, precisely. <laughs> I was in a clan. I used to help run a clan for... Um, a few years, like a, a battlefield clan. So yeah, we used to organize team events and clan wars and stuff like that. So yeah, there is that kind of side to it as well. So take us back to the, the coding part, like you're on free code camp, sort of dabbling with it. Did you have like an ambition to become a professional developer or were you just enjoying it, doing it as a hobby almost? I did that for a bit. It was probably like six months or something. And I built a few small projects, which I was just kind of publishing on CodePen. I was just seeing where it would go because I didn't know if I would be any good at it or, you know, whether I'd have the right skill set mentality to do it. But like I say, like, I ended up getting another editorial job and I just didn't find the time to keep doing it. But then like in 2019, like my partner got offered a role in Toronto. They were going to sort out the visas and pay for the move. So like, yeah, what the heck, we'll move to uh, Canada. And so... You know, it took a while to get settled down there and then suddenly had all this spare time on my hands and it was like, well, do I start applying for jobs? If I do, what am I going to look for? And then um, I just decided uh, just to go full in and um, start learning to code. And that's when I kind of developed the ambition is like, ah, I'm going to become a web developer. So I went back to the free code camp curriculum, but it completely changed since when I started before. They kind of completely reworked the curriculum. So I just decided just to start again from the beginning because it'd be a good refresher. They had like new certificates to earn and different projects to build. So I worked my way through like the first three certificates, which are all related to kind of web design. So I think there's like responsive web design, JavaScript, algorithms and data structures and um, front end libraries where they kind of taught you React and Redux. Uh, and I think they taught you a bit of SCSS. Yeah, I got to the end of that and I'd done these free certificates and then I was like, am I ready to apply for jobs? And I didn't feel like that. I just felt like my skills were too basic. I don't know, I didn't have a lot of confidence. So I ended up getting stuck in some sort of directionless tutorial hell for a while and like, you know, not really making much progress. And um, this is how I ended up discovering Scrimba. I think Pear via free code camp, he published these like tutorials on uh, CSS, Flexbox and Grid. So I got playing around with Scrimba because I quite liked the novelty of the platform, which is quite cool where they, you know, you're doing these screencasts 
where the teacher is um, kind of typing code in what seems like real time. And then you can just stop it and start playing with it and break it and fix it. That's really cool. And then um, I saw you, you were doing the front end career path. And I like the fact that it was like focused on not just teaching you how to code, but also how to actually get a job. And so I uh, started that and worked my way through that to the end. I noticed when you posted in the Scrimba Discord community about your success getting a job, you specifically mentioned, I think at the time it was module 13, it might be module 15 today, the getting hired module and how you really valued that and how it helped you succeed in getting the job. Yeah, it was actually really helpful. It was like a combination of that and then um, watching like some of your videos or podcasts. And I think it's on like Wednesdays, isn't it? Where Leander's like live streams and she has this various guests on. So like, I think like Danny Thompson was quite useful for uh, learning about how to set up LinkedIn. And she's had like a few different tech recruiters on and other people who kind of did career changes and, you know, taught themselves how to code and then went on to get like a job. So that really helped because basically it's because of LinkedIn that I ended up getting a job. But I've always kind of hated LinkedIn. So and I'm, I'm not really bit into social media, but I think I've always been very wary of LinkedIn because I think it was about like 10 years ago or so where um, I think there was this thing they were doing where if you joined up to LinkedIn and uh, you gave them access to your contacts, they would just email every single one of your contacts and say, you should come and join LinkedIn. No way. Was that a thing? Really? Yeah. Because I used to get all these spam emails and we're like, I couldn't work out whether these phishing emails or something. Yeah. It sounds like such a growth hack, doesn't it? From back in the days of like trying to grow a quick startup. I can totally imagine that happening when like you mentioned that. Yeah. I think they got into trouble for it because um, it, it was a bit of a dark pattern because he didn't make it clear that they were going to do this. Yeah. So I was always a bit suspicious, but then, you know, from listening to Danny Thompson and some of those other guests that uh, Leanne had on, it was, it was very clear, like LinkedIn is pretty crucial for getting your foot in the door in the in the sort of tech industry. I think as a new developer, that is especially true. You do need to stack the deck in your favor, especially when you don't have a computer science degree. At the beginning, your objective is just to get a seat at the table to, to do an interview. And the really amazing thing about LinkedIn is that unlike a resume that only works for you while you're applying, on LinkedIn, it works for you while you sleep. Like somebody can see your posts, they can find you in the search results. And I, I also like how you describe it as a social network because for, for some reason in my head like I don't compare you know Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and these apps to LinkedIn I see LinkedIn more like a, a sort of careers website than a social network I guess but but you are absolutely right because what happens on LinkedIn through the social network is that you open yourself up to like serendipity like just the you know chance encounters things that might never otherwise happen and that's really powerful yeah I think one of the things as well about being self taught is like you've got to get past like HR so if you can actually jump the HR and make contact with the hiring manager I think that really improves your chances and um, that's basically what happened to me like in fact the hiring manager for the job I got which is at Kijiji he saw me on LinkedIn and contacted me he, I um, posted uh, I got a certificate at the end of doing you know the Scrimba front-end career path and I posted that on LinkedIn and then uh, my manager saw that and he he just like messaged me saying oh this is really interesting your coding journeys um, seems really cool do you want to chat and uh, 
So we had a phone call and that went, seemed to go well. And then he encouraged me to apply for the job. And then it was, I think it was literally like three days later, I was like getting interviewed. Coming up on the Scramble podcast, how Stevie fended off a recruiter looking for a junior, okay, with seven years React experience. I mean, come on. I think at that time, like React had only been out for about eight years. That's like a kind of a big ask. We will be right back to the interview with Stevie. But first, Jan, the producer, and I wanted to ask if you would please consider subscribing to the Scrimber podcast and sharing this episode. Hi, enjoying the show? Well, what are you waiting for? If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. And if you really find this podcast valuable and you want to make sure we can keep making it, the best way to support us is word of mouth. So we would be super grateful if you could either share this episode with someone, be it on socials, on Discord or in person, or if you could leave us a five-star review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, you give us social proof and we give you more insightful and uplifting interviews just like this one. This is a weekly show and next week we have a real treat for you. Remember how Stevie started learning to code on Free Code Camp? Well, next week we're talking to the founder of Free Code Camp, Quincy Larson. I didn't start coding until I was like 31 years old. I was a school director and I just wanted to make our school more efficient. So I tried to learn a little bit, you know, get dangerous enough with a few tools like Excel macros and this tool called AutoHotKey, where you can like programmatically click on different government forms. And so I was able to figure out ways to like automate a lot of the compliance aspects of running a school with international students, visas and things like that. And uh, free our teachers up so they could spend more time with the students and less time doing back off workflows. I had this friend and he told me like, you should learn Python. And so I spent a ton of time doing project Euler problems using Python. Stanford had a JavaScript course that I took. I took the Stanford Relational Database course, and then I took a bunch of other courses and tutorials. That is next Tuesday on the Scrimba podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the interview with Stevie. Do you have some impression as to like how they discovered your LinkedIn post? Because, you know, it's a social network, right? Like the amount of connections you have can almost affect your reach. And I happen to notice on LinkedIn, you have just, I think, 35 connections or something. And so I'm really curious, like how that post possibly made its way to the hiring manager's eyes in this case. Do you have any sort of gut feeling or hypothesis about how that happened? I'm not sure. I might have to ask him. <laughs> I mean, I did have a few tech recruiters reach out to me um, before that. I think maybe just because like keywords like React, Toronto. That is such an interesting point as well. You know, you are in Toronto and you, you specifically want to work in Toronto, or, or at least that's how it turned out. I wonder if a lot of recruiters, when they search, you know, if you just search React developer, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of results, maybe not that many, but tens of thousands of results probably across the globe. It's really difficult to narrow down. But if you're like, hey, my, my objective is to find a React developer in Toronto, that's a narrow enough pool that even if you're not like uh, heavily, heavily invested in LinkedIn in terms of your connections. Although I should note, you're right, your keywords and your bio and your profile are very, very good. It, it means you've got a good chance of, of being discovered regardless. That's a really key learning for me here. I think I'm kind of lucky as well, because like Toronto is like a huge tech city. There's a lot of um, big tech companies here. Like I think like Microsoft have a massive office here as well. So there is like a big tech presence downtown. I put myself as being available to do remote work as well, or I, I think I'd put things down to make it look like I was fairly flexible. So 
maybe that helps as well. This interview that you got, or, you know, you're encouraged to apply after that quick phone call. Is that like the first interview you had? And like, is that the job you ended up doing as well? Yeah. I mean, that was the the funny thing about it because I was thinking, ah, it's going to take me like maybe six months or more to get a job because I'd spoken to a few tech recruiters who got in touch with me and it didn't go anywhere. You had a story that you shared on the Scrimba Discord about like a LinkedIn recruiter reaching out to you saying that you're a great match for the job. And then when they called you, they told you to your face, you needed seven plus years of experience, which obviously as a new developer, you don't have. There are two funny things about that. I mean, because it's like seven plus years of experience in React. I think at that time, like React had only been out for about eight years. (laughs) So I think that's like a kind of a big ask. But it was clear he hadn't read my profile, despite going, oh, your profile looks like you're a great match. And what I didn't get about is he was just wasting both of our time by like not taking a few seconds to just run through my profile. But as soon as I said that I didn't have that experience, I could tell that he wasn't interested, despite him continuing the conversation for a few minutes. Oh, that's such a waste of time. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I think like... Because I, I, I got messaged by a few other tech recruiters, but I think that a lot of them, what they'll do is they just kind of will send out a blanket message to like everyone who's got maybe React and Toronto in their profile and then just see what they get back from that response. It's funny because these days I can recognize a generic message 10 miles away. And I think a lot of hiring managers and recruiters can as well if you're considering reaching out. But but like as a, as a new developer or, or someone who's maybe newer to like putting yourself out there, it's a bit harder to decide certain sort of the generic messages from the from the sincere ones which i think is a shame like i'm not sure what they're really accomplishing there i think they're putting the sort of onus on you as a candidate to sort of count yourself out or you know say oh i don't meet these requirements that they're just saying hey come here look you know they're broadcasting their job description when they're sending out an email blast or a message blast like that i don't think it's the coolest thing ever but you know it's a good experience to learn from and something but equally speaking to a recruiter it's never the worst thing you never know the outcome of a five-minute conversation like Maybe it's a complete dud, like in your case, but equally, I can imagine another scenario where the recruiter says, oh, my mistake. But as you mentioned it, we have this other role that's more junior focused, or I have another client who is gearing up to hire for a new team and a new project. Can I keep you in mind when that comes about? I think whenever you're connecting with other developers or recruiters, you need to really think about getting that conversation started and making it clear what you're available for and and maybe even poking a bit as to what they have coming up. Because even if you don't get the result immediately, as you said, Stevie, like, it, you know, you anticipated taking a few months to, to kind of apply to all these jobs and things. After four or five weeks, maybe the recruiter or the person you connected with is in a is in a much different position and you can help each other out. Yeah, for sure. And I also kind of looked at us. Well, I was kind of annoyed that he was just, you know, couldn't take a few seconds to just look through my profile. But I was quite philosophical about it because I had a conversation with a, a few others as well, which, um, you know, didn't go anywhere. But I, I just saw that as like experience and practice for finding out what kind of things that they were looking for and trying to get like, maybe trying to get like feedback on where, what I need to do or what I need to improve to to become a stronger candidate. How did that work out in the end? Like, did you get an impression of the questions that recruiters wanted to know the answers to? What I ended up doing was writing down the kinds of questions that were coming up and um, preparing um, answers for them. But I think like the main questions were just about uh, talking about what experience you have in terms of like what projects have you built being able to talk through those projects it's mostly just around experience flexibility salary expectations those kind of um things so like 
I went and did a bit of research to find out what the kind of going rate for a junior developer job is in Toronto and and then kind of, um, you know, working an answer to that. I remember coming up with some, it's probably quite a cheesy answer, like saying, oh, you know, I can be flexible on salary, but I, I but I know the going rate for this kind of role is like 40 to 70K or, or whatever it, it was. Perfect, perfect answer. You don't want to ask for something ridiculous, obviously just pulled out of thin air. Employers pay the market rates plus or minus a little bit, depending on their circumstances and other perks of the job, right? Well, I guess not really related to that, but I, I started doing, you know, before talking to these people, I would look them up on LinkedIn to see who they worked for, what their experience was. I can't remember I think who it was, one of Leanne's guests who was like saying, you know, if a tech recruiter is constantly changing jobs, it's not a good sign that they're good at their job. Me again. This was Taylor Thesson on the Scrimba podcast when he said, Most recruiters bounce around every 18 months to two years. And so if you find a recruiter who's been at the same company for more than two years, they're probably pretty good. We're heavily commissioned. Most of my compensation is based off commission. And so if a recruiter is not really good at their job, they have to bounce around to make the base raise, right? This was the episode number 27, and its title is How to Work with Recruiters according to senior recruiter Taylor Dessen. So if you feel like listening to an insightful and opinionated interview about recruiting, when you finish with this one, of course, I'm linking it in the show notes. Sorry for the interruption. Here's more of Stevie and Alex. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, and I, I think you've explained it a bit here, which is that you left to change countries, basically, and then the pandemic hit and all the rest of it. But there was like a fairly significant career gap in your sort of resume and LinkedIn profile, right? And around July 2019, you, you left your previous job and packed your bags and, and you've only fairly recently been hired uh, in May 2022. So, that, you know, there was like almost a three year gap there in between the opportunities. I'm curious if that was something you were like aware of and, and maybe anticipated employers asking about. Yeah, I was very conscious of that and, and kind of worried that that would you know, play against me. That was another one of, one of those other questions that I kind of formulated an answer for and kind of came up with like a story and try and put a positive spin on it. Did it come up in the end? Not directly. I mean, people, they kind of want to know like a bit of your backstory. So you kind of give them that, you know, your career history. I was kind of surprised that I was never really asked directly about that, but it was always like a huge concern of mine. I was always very self-conscious about it. And I was always like, am I ready to start applying for jobs? And then I was kind of like, well, but the longer I leave it, the maybe the worse it's going to look on my CV. I struggle with that a little bit because I don't see why an employer should necessarily care. Like, I do think there are some like amber and red flags on someone's LinkedIn or resume where like if they change jobs, every eight to 14 months or something that's not ideal because most employees they hit their stride after a year and then you know just as they're getting ready to ramp up they might be leaving the company like I totally get that I think if you're at a more mid or senior level role and then you take a three-year break well maybe the industry's moved on a little bit and it's hard to assure yourself as an employer that they will have stayed up to date with their skills or that they're warmed up necessarily to hit the ground running all that said I don't think that applies to a new developer actually and I think that when you have have a fairly logical, reasonable story, such as the fact that you changed countries and you decided to retrain to do a new career. I find it really hard to imagine why somebody would logically be against that. And I also struggle a little bit to see like where the 
bias could be in that case. Like I think through the logical steps, but we're also emotional people. And I do recognize that sometimes logic has nothing to do with it. Anyway, I can't really see the emotional case there, like why somebody would have a problem with it either. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. They took me on at Kijiji knowing that I would have a lot of learning to do. And it's almost like they're training me. So, but I think HR look at these things differently. You know, if you have to go through some like HR screening first, I think that they're just kind of like, no, no, you know, like they, they're kind of just ticking boxes. I think that's, again, that's why it's important to kind of actually speak to someone who can like get you past HR. And I think that's what happened with me was like my my manager was, yeah, let's interview this guy. When you apply, you're essentially one of a few hundred maybe. But if you can somehow find a way to stand out through connecting with someone at the company, not only do you stand out, you're an individual in their mind now, not just a, a number. You don't run the risk of like being glanced over because of like a small detail. Yeah, I think I was just very lucky that my manager, Jason, saw me and then seemed interested in my story. It was the first job I interviewed for. So again, I didn't expect to get the job because there was a lot of gaps in my knowledge. I ended up doing four interviews, which is, I think, the most interviews I've ever done for a job. I think I've never done more than two. Do you remember the details? Like, what were the four steps in those four interviews? I guess it's kind of four and a half, really, because I did, like, an informal chat with um, my manager. Oh, that didn't even count as one of the four, okay. No, no, it was just because, like, I think we only talked for, like, 15 minutes. And then he's like, oh, I think you should send your CV and... The first interview was with someone from HR. So that was more of like a, I guess, like a soft skills interview and getting to know me and finding out whether I'd be a good fit for the company. One of the questions he asked me was, what is like a non-digital device that you use and why? What did you answer to that? I said books. Oh, that's a good answer. You know, I explained it because like, I like going to libraries, you know, I read stuff on mobile devices, but I still like to have a book. It's probably some like, you know, romantic notion attached to that. Also, you know, they don't need batteries, do they? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bit of a team Kindle type of person over here because I just find it physically more comfortable and portable and stuff. Well, it's, it's very convenient, isn't it? You know, books can be heavy, so <laughs> Kindle's pretty light. Do you ever think recruiters just get a bit bored? <laughs> like, I mean, they interview hundreds and hundreds of people. They probably try and keep things interesting for themselves by asking these like slightly quirky questions about what is an analog thing you enjoy. Yeah, I think that as well. I think these are just kind of questions to kind of catch you off guard and kind of get a glimpse into your real personality. Like I did an interview a few years ago where in the same interview, they asked me what my thoughts on ABBA were. Do I like kale as in the vegetable? And what is my idea of hell? Okay, now I'm starting to feel a bit suspicious. Like what on earth has that got to do with your ability to work as a developer? Well, that wasn't the developer job. That was like for an editorial job. But that was like, I think those questions were to see how it'd fit in with the office culture. That's a very good point. There was a company called Pusher where I used to work. Now I think about it, we had this form where you could apply and the questions were like, you know, what's your CV, blah, 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 blah. And then one of them was like, would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck or something ridiculous like that? And I think it was just like inviting people to express a bit of their personality. I think it's more pleasant for everybody, right? Like it's fun to read. It's a little bit fun to write. And uh, it just helps show some personality, whether you might be a good fit. Maybe I shouldn't be so quick to dismiss those kind of questions. Yeah, I think it helps relax you a little bit as well. Because interviews are, well, for me at least, I find them very stressful. I get very nervous during interviews and um, 
I think it makes you look at the interviewers as being more human. You know, when you're in an interview and it's almost like you're in front of like the school headmaster or something, you know, there's this kind of weird disconnect in a way because, you know, like you turn up and you're in like a suit and um, there's kind of weird formality to it all. I hope you didn't wear a suit to a technical interview, by the way. It was all done by video because uh, at the time they hadn't reopened the office. So yeah, they were all video interviews. So I just kind of wore a smartish shirt you know so i didn't look too scruffy and tidied up the background i was like slightly suspicious that someone listening might be like wait why i need to wear a suit to my coding interview and like no don't do that like if anything that's a bad thing to do because you'll certainly be the only person wearing a suit and also i completely get your point about making it more human you know everything up until the point you're actually doing the job it can feel very transactional hey here are the services i can render okay here are some questions but once you start the job it's anything but transactional you start to build relationships with your coworkers and your manager and you're thinking about the purpose of the product and all these things anyway we got to step one i think which was like the hr interview 1.5 i suppose what came next dv the next interview that was with um, jason again my manager and that was kind of of like a mixture of soft skill questions and going through my background again. There was like a few questions on React. It's funny as well, because like, you know, I was going about module 13 and I think it's, I can't remember if it was Dylan or Cassidy, but like, cause they do a bunch like one of them, I think it was Dylan does like the JavaScript stuff that you might get asked in an interview. Cassidy did the React stuff. And some of the questions that Cassidy paired you for were definitely came up like, being able to explain state, being able to explain the virtual DOM. So I'd actually had answers prepared for those. So um, that, that was that was very useful. Was that a nice feeling, by the way? Probably taking you back many, many years when you lost a sort of school test or something. But you know, when you, you open the paper and it's like, oh my God, it's the question I was hoping for. And like, you know the answer. Yeah, it was like that. And then, but then it was like, you know, lots of questions like, do you know TypeScript? Do you know how to configure a Webpack? What's the difference between a REST API and um, GraphQL? And at the time, I didn't really know what GraphQL was. So yeah, I didn't know TypeScript either. So I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job. And I, like, I only know like the absolute basics of like configuring Webpack. You know, because like most of the stuff I've done is just using Create React app, which kind of does all the Webpack uh, legwork for you. So sometimes you need to go in and like week a few options but like that that was the kind of extent of my knowledge of configuring what was the third step of the interview that was like basically a full-on technical interview you hear these stories and I, I don't know that they definitely happen of like you getting these like crazy algorithm challenges so i did do some preparation for that i spent I think it's Code Wars. I started working my way through some of the JavaScript challenges on on that. Leak code as well, I think you mentioned on Discord. Yeah, those ones are hard. I ended up going on Code Wars because if you're doing challenges and you can't do them, it just makes you feel really bad. Whereas if you do some challenges and they challenge you, but you eventually get to a solution, then at least you feel like, oh, you know, I'm learning something. I can work my way through some of these problems. In the end, the technical interview was relatively straightforward. There was lots of questions about how much I understood accessibility. And I was like given like a, a web page and I was like, what are the accessibility issues in this? And I think I got all but one of them. So I was quite happy with that. I was annoyed with the one that I missed. There was like a couple of buttons and they just had like a plus symbol and a minus symbol. So obviously you're supposed to put like an area label in that so that screen readers know what those buttons do rather than just being like a symbol. 
The other test was basically like a React component, but it was more testing as like, do you know how to use map, reduce and filter? So I was able to do that. And uh, she seemed impressed because like I started working out the solution and then I realized that it wasn't going to work properly. And I went straight to reduce and she said she was impressed because she thought like she would have to go. And is there a better way of doing this? But she said, I already went to the better way of doing it. Nice. No, seriously, that's really good. Like aggregating and reducing like that's a pretty intermediate skill because most new developers would use like a for loop and keep building up an array for example whereas yeah you, you nailed that it was one of those things that you could do with like a combination a loop and then do filter and then i think she would work up with like how could you refactor that but i kind of already refactored it when i worked out there was a slight issue with the implementation so i was yeah i was happy i was able to do that and she just asked me some more react questions again yeah and this is another question that cassidy williams her name said that would come up, which is like, can you explain the difference between um, state in a functional component compared to a class component? Yeah, that was useful to have done some research and prepped for that. It's amazing to hear, like, the objective of the career path is to take you from not knowing much code. Of course, you've done a bit of free code camp before, but ultimately, by the time you graduate, you should be at that level where you can build projects independently, but also succeed at an entry-level job interview. In my mind, that's a place where they realize you can contribute and bring value to the business. You also need some room for growth, but they see your potential and how much dedication and intelligence you've applied to get to that point. You know, it's really exciting to hear that, like, you're experience happened to match almost one-on-one -on -one with what we provided in the career path, uh, almost to the point where the questions they asked, you know, they could have literally created their list of questions from Cassidy's module, for example, and that would have been a very fortunate thing. Some of Dylan's questions came up as well, because it was like the question, what's the difference between loose equality and strict equality in JavaScript? I got asked several times about Agile, which is something that Dylan prepared you for. And um, I think one of the interviews said they were actually really impressed by my answer for Agile because they said, considering I've never had any direct experience of it, I seem to have a good understanding of it. But again, I did some reading on it and prepped a potential answer for that. So it helps a lot having an idea of what's going to come up and how you're going to answer those questions. Definitely. And so what was the fourth and I guess final step of the interview process, DV? It was mostly soft skills again, questions about teamwork. There were different people for each interview. So the first one was with just a HR guy. The second one was with um, my manager. Third one was with a woman called Daniela, who's one of the senior developers. And she kind of, we don't really have a scrum master, but she's kind of fills in for that role for like, because we're divided into like sub teams. So she kind of um, does that, but she's kind of also um, uh, mentors me, I guess, because we do a one-to-one -one every week. And she kind of, for me to like ask her questions and her to give me feedback and help. The fourth interview is with one of the product managers and with another guy who works on my team. Again, he's like a senior developer. Their questions are more teamwork questions, experience questions, I think. Yeah, what was your biggest failure? And then like questions like, you know, how have you dealt with when things have gone wrong or what's the biggest problem you've solved? That kind of stuff. How do you approach that thing? 
And then uh, talking a little bit about do you do documentation when you're coding? And we talked through um, one of my apps as well. I think you removed it from the front end module, but you did this uh, one where you build like a Netflix app. And I did the Netflix app. I'll be honest, I didn't think it was a very good module because um, it wasn't very interactive like most of the other modules are. I think most of it, it was, wasn't that different from watching a YouTube video. So you're just kind of watching this guy code this Netflix app. That was surprising because I think most of the modules are like very interactive. Like, right, now you're going to code this bit or like, I built this component and you're going to build the next component. I'll tell you this sort of story here, which is that, you know, Scrimba has always had that interactive editor. Like that was always the reason the Atra for Scrimba. Like that's why Per and Syndra and a little bit later Froda went went down this path of making like yet another sort of courses website. It was different, right? And there was a novelty there. And occasionally it was like the best way to learn, like especially if it was visual. So even if the teacher wasn't like especially conscious of inviting the student to get their hands on the keyboard, if you're learning something like like Flexbox or CSS Grid, it's still really cool to get to fiddle with it and see it evolve. But over, you know, over the years, really, the thing that's changed is not the platform fundamentally, like it's still very much the same, but we have a completely new pedagogy and approach to teaching where every single module we make now is so deliberately taking advantage of the editor to encourage you to do exactly as you described, Stevie, like, you know, code your own component, fill in the blanks, that kind of thing. I think the module you're describing was like before this pedagogy and it's since been replaced actually to sort of be more hands-on. Point is, it's very legitimate feedback and it's something that we got before and addressed and uh yeah that's all but yeah so i did that i didn't feel like i'd learned that much from it so i was like right i'm just gonna go and rebuild this whole thing from scratch and kind of take on board some of the stuff that i had learned it wasn't that i hadn't learned anything in it but i think there was a lot of stuff you know you kind of didn't fully understand why things were done in a certain way and and, and that kind of thing so i just went and rebuilt the whole thing from scratch but then like added a whole bunch of other features and I, I went out on a limb to try and make it look and behave much more like um, Netflix. But then I completely customized it as well. So I, I kind of changed all the text. I put in lots of sort of tongue in cheek text in there. Yeah, I made it behave, the layout behave much more closely to um, Netflix. I actually kind of spent a lot of time on the Netflix website, almost reverse engineering like their layout and their logic, you know, just using developer tools and stuff like that. It's on your uh, portfolio, isn't it? Called Retroflake. So people can check it out. Yeah, yeah. And um, Matt, who's one of the guys who interviewed me, he was like really impressed by it. And he liked the humor in it as well. So I think like, you know, that helped. And also they liked that I put a fair bit of effort into like accessibility as well. So I I, was, I tried to mimic the, the carousel as best as I could. Well, that was something that went through several iterations. It's still not the same as the actual Netflix carousel, but I thought I did a decent job with it. I didn't want to spend forever going through it, but like I, I put a lot of effort into making sure that you could navigate that with the keyboard. And that was quite a challenge doing that, but they, they liked that I'd gone to that effort of adding in the accessibility stuff and it just created a good talking point as well. I'm reading the FAQ and it's like, how do I cancel? 
Uh, Retro Fakes is just like Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Yeah, like all the content's like based on, you know, stuff that I like. So there's lots of like 80s movies and TV shows in there and uh, just silly references. Lots of like in-jokes that probably I only get. But like, I think... I think when you're building an app as well, I think it's important to enjoy it and to kind of do something that will motivate you so you don't just get kind of bored halfway through it. So I had a lot of fun making that and I made a lot of the graphics myself, just messing around in Photoshop and like, you know, editing pictures and stuff. And I had fun curating all the content for it in all the, all the movies and shows. I think, I think that helps a lot actually when you're building projects because obviously you need to have some projects on your portfolio to make up for not having previous job experience yeah and if you can do stuff that you enjoy doing or something you want to make it kind of helps drive you a bit more and i think it helps you you know kind of like add stretch goals to the project if that makes sense i think you approached it in exactly the right way like presenting a tutorial version that other people have done it is okay but it's definitely not a good talking point and you definitely want to throw in a bit of spice a bit of personality just something to get the conversation going and uh yeah we'll link this in the show notes for people to check out so they know exactly the sort of bar that they they need to meet i saw someone else they did the that netflix tutorial and then they just went and I think the guy who made it, he also had it on a repo on GitHub. And I saw someone, they just went and fucked that repo and then hosted it and then put that on their portfolio. And it's like, you can't do that. It's not your app. That's ridiculous. Tell us about like getting the job offer. Like, where were you? How did the offer come to you? And like, oh my God, you must have been so excited. To be honest, I didn't think I would get it because I thought there were just too many um, gaps there. You know, like they use TypeScript, they use GraphQL, they use Next.js. You know, I didn't have any experience with them. And there was definitely some questions that I couldn't answer in the interview. And there's a few that I thought that I didn't answer well, or I just ended up waffling through. So I I didn't think I would get it, but I was kind of very philosophical about it because I was thinking, well, it's it's like a great experience and I know now uh, the kind of questions I'm going to get asked and I can better prepare for them and uh, I can maybe go away and like, you know, learn the basics of TypeScript or learn more about GraphQL, uh, that kind of thing. But getting the job offer was funny because um, I got an email saying to have like, I can't remember, it's like a debrief or something weird like that. Uh, like an interview debrief with them again with the HR guy you know I went into that thinking oh this is just going to be I'm not going to get the job but they're going to give me some helpful feedback and he didn't tell me I'd got the job until 20 minutes into the interview so it was like yeah I think he's funny this guy I think he's he's kind of got like a he's got a strong sense of humor what did you talk about for the first 20 minutes then he was kind of asking me like how I thought that I did in the interview and stuff like that and um and then he was giving me feedback from what people had said and then like yeah 20 minutes in he made the job offer because he did this whole thing he goes so would you want the job if we offered it to you and i was like yeah of course oh my goodness talk about like dangling a carrot or something it was very tense i was very surprised but i was also incredibly happy because i i just didn't think that i would get it on my 
first interview. I don't have a lot of experience of doing interviews, even though I'm like 42 now. I've not actually done that many interviews in my life. And so I get incredibly nervous during them. And I do tend to waffle and um, sometimes do that thing where I don't know if you've ever done this interview. I'll be answering a question and then halfway through my answer, I can't remember what the question is. And then I just end up waffling because I don't want to uh, let them know that I can't remember what the question was. I can relate a little bit in, in the early days. I think uh, the Scrimber podcast has given me uh, like superpowers when it comes to remembering talking points and things, but I totally get what you mean. Yeah. So it was a, a weird experience, but I, yeah, I got the job. And uh, the other thing that surprised me was that they, um, he did a drum roll for like telling me how much they were going to offer me in terms of um, salary and benefits. <laughs> like a physical drum roll. He was like tapping the desk. Yeah. I can't remember if he was tapping the desk or he just did it verbally, but like he did a drum roll and then like, yeah, they, they, they offered me like a really good salary, which I was very surprised with. It was like above the kind of range that's like typical for a junior role. So I was like, really surprised with that but obviously very happy oh my goodness stevie that's incredible man i'm so happy for you massive congratulations and, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to to share your exact story i don't think we've ever gone into like such depth i guess about the individual steps four and a half in your case and i know for a fact people are going to find it super useful stevie gill thank you so much for joining me on the scrimmer podcast no worries it's it's a pleasure and it's nice to kind of finally meet you i've listened to you in the uh, the town hall meetings and seen you uh, some of your videos and stuff so it's kind of a bit surreal to actually be talking to you <laughs> oh that's crazy all right that was stevie well this was a fun one we need more drum rolls in real life i think make sure to check out the show notes the resources mentioned in this episode will be there along stevie's links and that podcast episode with Taylor Dessen. If you made it this far, consider subscribing. Next week, we'll have the founder of Free Code Camp. The Scrimba podcast is hosted by Alex Booker. Make sure to mention him on Twitter. If you're sharing what you've learned from the pod, you'll find his Twitter handle in the show notes. And produced by me, I'm Jan Arsinovic, and we will see you next week. <laughs>